So that was uh, the Apostles' Creed. And it was originally written by a guy by the name of Rich Mullins back in the 80s. And it was covered by a group called uh, Third Day. Um, I love it. Man, this is really cool. It's a great way. I love the line, we did not make this. It is making me. That's our faith. You know, we didn't make this up. It came to us. It's, it's making us. It's shaping us. So we're going to take a look at anthropology first. That's human kindness to creature. Then we're going to look at something called homartiology. The word homartio in Greek means to miss the mark. And it's the study of sin. And then soteriology is the study of salvation. So let's take a look at we, you and me. So first of all, God created humankind in the image of their creator. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then God said, let us make man in our image in, the li in our likeness. And it's the only creature that we are aware of that is made in God's likeness. And because we're made in God's likeness, we have a unique ability to be able to relate to God and God to us. It's that connecting point that we have. Uh, he used inanimate material to make us. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust <coughs> from the ground <coughs> and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's Genesis 2 7. So God used the dust of the ground to make mankind. What's so unique about that in creation, in the creation story? speak it, yes. You know what's really cool? God got his hands dirty to make you and me. He actually formed us with his hands. I mean, he just didn't say, let there be Joe, you know, or Gwen. He formed us. He formed us. In fact, the forming continues even in the womb. It says that he knits us in our mother's wombs. Somehow, mysteriously, he's at work creating every second right now as, as children are forming in wounds. So it's, it's, it's remarkable. <coughs> the other thing is that humankind is distinct from the animals. Why we say that? Well, um, Genesis 1.27 says, And let them, mankind, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. We are set apart to have dominion over all of creation, all of living creation. We're not part of them. <coughs> we are uniquely over them. So even though we share genetic code, 95% of our genetic code is similar to that of an ape, we're different. We're different. We've been formed by God's hands. We actually have dominion over the apes, unlike the movie. Okay? So, <clears throat> God created humans a trichotomy. We have, I believe, we have three parts of us. We have a living and eternal soul with a body and a spirit. So, there's also people who believe we're a dichotomy, which is the body and the soul. Okay? I'll, I'll let you know why I don't believe in this is one of the verses. 
But it says now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Okay, so he's talking about the whole aspect, the whole component of the human being. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to me, I believe that the body is actually the physical thing that I walk around and I can navigate the world, the physical world around me, my physical body. Okay? I can knock on doors, I can bump into things, I can hold someone. Um, my soul, I refer to as the me that you don't see, but the me you, you encounter. Alright, so, you know, you can see me, well, that's Wayne, but what you really know about me is, is the me you don't see. It's like my attitudes, my biases, my prejudices. You know, my, na my, uh, my nature, um, those are the things that, that you experience of me that you get to know and call who I am, right? That allows me to have a relationship with you, or you. Our, it's not our bodies just that have, you know, have a relationship with each other, but we can have a relationship at our, at our person level, at our soul level, all right? And then there's spirit. Spirit, I believe, is what we, God has given us that connects with Him. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, that's what died. That's what died immediately. Okay, ultimately their body would die, and immediately their spirit died, and they had no more ability to relate to God. So I see the body as something that allows us to relate to the world around us, the physical world around us, our souls, the ability to, to have a relationship with the people around us, and then our, our spirit that enables us to have a connection with God. And then when we come to Jesus Christ, He gives us our spirit life back again. And that's why we're born again. And Jesus said, you know, those who are born of the water, the physical body, the physical life, birth, and then there's people who are born of the Spirit. And that's what comes back to life. And now we're connected. We connect to God again. He connects with us. And, and you know, He's our Father. We're His adopted children. And we're part of His family. And he has plans for us. And, you know, and, um, you know, and then our mind begins to be transformed. So our character, our soul begins to transform. And now all of a sudden our body isn't doing the things that we used to do with it that weren't pleasing to God or good for us. And everything begins to trickle around and to really become transformed within us. So that's why I kind of believe that we're a tricon instead of a dichotomy. Uh, we're born with will. We and the angels are the only creatures that can say no to God. The word it says in uh, Genesis 2, 16 through 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. God gave them a choice. He gave them a free will. He said what was good for them and what was not good for them, and it was up to them to choose it. Why? God has a free will. It's part of his nature. He has a will, and he gave us a will. I mean, it's remarkable. You know, that he gives us the power Think about it. The power to say no to God. Now, when we fell, 
we lost the ability to ever say yes to God when God is home. And now we'll talk about that a little bit later. So whenever someone comes to Christ, whenever someone obeys God, it's because the grace of God is working in them. Because without that grace, it was impossible for them to say yes to God. Impossible. All they can do is say no. Even when they're good things, they're saying no to God. Because in some way it's about them, it's still about their rebellion, they're still not doing it to the glory of God. And guess what? I do the things right now, so God's still working in me. So, um, he's training our wills. And we are people of will. That's why it's so important not to pray with when when we pray. God is a God of will. He's made children of will. He's, he's, he's teaching us to, to think about what we're doing and to, and to be intentional about what we're doing, just the way He is. So we're growing up. We're growing up learning how to use a will that was once again free. Because once we come to Christ, we now have the freedom to say yes and no to God, which is incredible. But now, when we say no, instead of losing our lives like Adam and Eve did, Jesus says, I've got the no covered. I covered it. You're okay. I've covered your rebellious no. And I'm giving you the ability instead to say yes to my Father. Okay? So all this stuff is kind of woven together. It's really cool. At least in my mind it is. Um, we're also given a moral sensibility. Uh, it says also in Romans, it says, since they show that, that people, humankind, show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. We all have a Jimmy Cricket. That's our conscience. That's given it to us, you know. And, and we have a moral sensibility that's actually placed inside of us. It's one of the proofs of God. No matter where you go, theft is theft. No matter where you go, you know, stealing someone's spouse is sin. No matter where you go, murder is murder. You know, that sensibility is in all of mankind. You know, no one taught it. So it's placed in them. So even, even fallen mankind has a sense of what's right and wrong. So we have moral sensibility. Any questions about any of that? Uh, God created humans with reasoning. Uh, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she saw that it was delightful for the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she was thinking, oh, you know, I want to be smart, right? Then she took from the fruit, and she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Uh, so she was doing she was doing a process. She was processing. She was reasoning. So God gives us the capacity to take a look at things, use our mind to make decisions about the stimulus that is coming into us. So God's created us with reasoning. In fact, God even says, come now, let's reason together. You give me what you think, and I'll give you what I think. And I want you to make a decision. God doesn't force us to do anything. You know? I mean, it's part of our free will. So he gives us our conscience, and he gives us our reason to guide and to shape this free will that we have. So that we, we, we end up saying more yes to God than we say no to God as he transforms us. 
he gave, he gave us the ability to be relational. We could have a communion of sense with, with one another and with God. So the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Oh, wait a second, it was all the animals, right? And then there's God. I mean, you mean we could be alone with, with God there? He said, so I will make a helper suitable for him. And so what he did is he created male and female so that they could be in relationship with one another. So God's given us the capacity to be in communion with others. He also gave us, and this is pretty amazing too, he let us have dominion over his creation. He created it. He says, you know what? Here it is. I want you to take care of it. So then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creation that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image and the image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. So God created all this vast universe and he says, I want you to have dominion over it. In fact, some of the language is kind of, seems like they're planted in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and they said, now I want you to cultivate it. Well, you know, pull the weeds? Oh, wait a second, there probably aren't weeds yet, right? Um, so the sense is that God was like, here's a special place on the earth, okay? This is the way I see it. There's a special garden that's on the earth. It is idyllic. I want you to make it grow. I want you to have it grow over the whole world. I want it to make it grow over the whole universe. I want you to keep cultivating it. I'm going to give you dominion over this so that you're going to make it grow. I'm going to give you the capacity to have this just continue to, to, to cover the rest of the world. I, I think that's the scope of, of the command that God gave to Adam and Eve. And I think that's what we're all going to go back to when God sets up the eternal state. He's, because in, in uh, Romans 8, I think it is, uh, it says that creation is groaning. It's waiting for the children of God to show up because it wants to be glorious again. It doesn't want to be broken. It doesn't want to have asteroids flying crazy through the sky, smashing into other things. You know, it doesn't want car crashes. And, and it could have no more... No more random disasters, no more random acts of anything. Everything now is going to be planned. It's going to work. And we're going to go out and, and maybe cover the entire universe with Eden again. So, you know, we're not going to be sitting around playing on our which is basically what it goes down to. Now we might do that if we have a, you know, a hymn sing in heaven. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. How you doing with that? Good? Okay. By the way, at any time, you can call me out or send me an email when I go up and have breakfast and lunch, and we can talk about this or meet, you know, sometime, whatever, if you have any questions. Okay, God created humans, male and female. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So, did you hear this? This is amazing. Okay. <laughs> we go to a we go to a Mexican restaurant and the guy who owns it this is a phenomenal chef but he comes up to you and he goes oh my god something oh my god oh my god 
this is awesome, this is amazing. Oh my God, I can't believe it. You know, he's like, he says it like a thousand times. This is like, oh my God, God's image is male and female. There's something about both genders that together represent the completeness of who God is. I'm not saying God's female, okay? But it says that, you know, he like nurtures like a, a, a breastfeeding woman, you know, and, and at the same time he's like admonishes like a, 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 a father. So there's something that he's done that he's imbued into the genders components of the wholeness of him. So that the best picture you can get of God is both male and female together. You know? Is that not, not I hope you heard I'm not saying it. That God is, you know, a female God or anything like that. Um, but I'm saying that what he's done is he's tried to reveal himself and his image in us, and it takes male and females to do that. Okay. Great. So good. We're moral. God created humans good. We're morally neutral. So what does that mean? That means that. Just the way a little baby is innocent, born innocent, you know, in our eyes, because they haven't done anything wrong yet, because they haven't made any choices yet. Okay? So what God did is he created these people who were morally neutral. They weren't good, they weren't bad. They hadn't had a chance to prove whether they were good or bad or not. In order to do that, there had to be something to give them free will, free choice. And what was that? What did he give Adam and Eve? What's that? Freedom. Yeah, he gave him freedom. He gave him freedom to eat. Either that tree or that tree. Okay? Interestingly enough, there was a tree of life that they never ate from, apparently. They could have eaten from that one first, which may have changed the whole body. But it's still they were born innocent or morally neutral. So let's take a look at sin, harmatiology. Humankind became depraved through the rebellious act of disobedience by our unigenitor, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. So, God gave man a choice, and he chose to say no to God and rebel. Uh, Genesis 3.11 says, And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So they made a choice, and all of a sudden they recognized they were ashamed of something. They never had shame. When we come to Christ, and actually married people have this ability to experience being naked and not ashamed of one another. It's one of the beautiful gifts of marriage. Um, unless you get over the fat. But... Uh, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned in his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The word there is all that's really important. Everyone. No one has escaped sin. It has been handed down generation to generation to generation to generation. No one has to teach anybody how to steal, how to poke someone in the nose, how to desire, how to lust, how to steal, how to lie. someone to fix us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a key word again, all. 
Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sin, no one escaped. I had a pastor once, I remember heard him preaching, he was talking about Jesus. He said everybody celebrates the miracle of Easter at the resurrection of Jesus. He said that wasn't the miracle. He said the miracle was that he died, and he was sinless. He couldn't die. He had to give up his life. That's the miracle. He was sinless. Death had nothing over him. So it's interesting to begin to develop some of these things. You see that not only was there a miracle on resurrection, there was certainly a miracle, of course, that happened on Good Friday. <clears throat> As a result of humankind's depravity, humankind is spiritually dead. And I talked about this earlier, that we have within us a spirit that is dead, cannot communicate with God, cannot relate with God, it is dead. God has to literally breathe life into that spirit of ours, and that life that he breathes into this is Jesus Christ. So, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die, and death came through sin. For as for you, you were dead in your trust, transgressions and sin. I mean, we're going to talk about this later. But we can't do anything to save ourselves because we're dead. We are dead. God has to intervene into a dead being, a spiritually dead being, to give, to give them life to be able to respond to Him. It's all Him. When we talk about salvation later, it's all his accomplishments, it's all his abilities, it's all his plan. It's all about God. <clears throat> humankind capable, I'm sorry, humankind is incapable of pleasing God. It says the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can they can even do it. The, uh, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So until a person meets and encounters the, the living Jesus Christ and their life is transformed, until that happens, they're just at odds with God always. Always. You know, in, in some sense, people say, well, that's not tolerant, that's not, you know. You no, know, actually, it is very tolerant because it says, whoever, whosoever believes in it, whoever, anywhere, is, is embraced into the family, is saved. So, so the picture for mankind, humankind, is dark without Jesus. It's dark. It's hopeless without God. <clears throat> As a result of humankind's depravity, humankind remains separated, and that's that's the definition of dead, separated from God. Apart from God, we're dead. Remember that the time that you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants and the promises, without hope, without God in the world, separated, excluded, without hope and without God. Talk about painting, you ever see those, uh, when you went back in the day, you used to go down to Mexico and they used to have these black velvet paintings and they would paint Elvis Presley in them and you put a spotlight on it, but it was this painting that was painted on this dark, dark, dark background. That's us. And the 
light that God paints on us is Jesus. And it brings him to life. It brings him to light. Humankind is without hope and is God's enemy. We kind of read some of that. Uh, Romans 5.10, 4, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So God began this work in us when we were his enemies. Okay. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, that's another wonderful description of what we were like without God. Alienated. Enemies. Evil. It is dark. Can you see that? So, what I want to do is, I want to start now and take a look at the beginning of the, uh, a look at salvation. Um, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. I missed uh, the last. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Remember that? At, at the time you were... Uh, um, at the time you were separated from Christ. Oh, separated. Excluded. Sin is just ugly. It's dark. 
And, and it said that he just didn't take on her. She said, became sick. I mean, I didn't even understand that. So, um, it empowers, I think, and, and grows with the scope and the value of the cross. You know, even as we, today we'll talk about a little bit, as we start looking towards Easter um, and our sermons and stuff, but to think the death that Jesus um, dove to, into the ocean of our sin, to like suck it all up and, and deal with it, it's just remarkable. All right. We good? Yes, thank you. Okay. So, let's talk about salvation. Trust Jesus. So, what we believe and why we believe it, this is part one of this. So, let's take a look. So, soteriology, uh, humankind's redemption. So, we've talked about humankind, the creature, humankind, the sinner, and now we're going to talk about humankind's redemption. So there are these sola fide, there's these solas that are part of script, uh, are part of the history of the church. Sola fide. So we're saved by faith alone. There's no works that are uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a work of God. It's based on faith through Christ alone. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus says Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And another place it says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name as Christ under heaven given to men and women by which we must be saved. We must be saved. And it's for, by grace alone, sola deo gratia, by God's grace alone, for the wage of sin is death, but the free gift, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it's faith alone, sola fide, uh, in Christ alone, solus Christus, and by God's grace alone, sola Deo Gratia. The Apostle wrote, this is uh, one of the key verses that just goes through the whole gospel, and just really gives it to you. For by grace you have been saved. The Ephesians 2.10 begins, it says, Our salvation is God's blood-bought gift to us. For by grace, grace is the word uh, charis, which means gift. And it's through faith, uh, through a confident and singular hope in the substitutionary death of Jesus at Calvary and his resurrection from the dead for our sins. So it's, for by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourself is the gift of God. That word that, in this verse is the same feminine gender as the previous word, faith, meaning that even faith that you receive is a gift. And not as a result of works. No individual can earn redemption and forgiveness of sin through their own merit. So that no one could boast. No one will ever stand in heaven and say, I belong here, or I earned it. Pride, the prime mover of sin, is dealt with through the humbling offer of God's gift of salvation. So, Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not, and not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Verse 2 
just that is just jam-packed with soteriology, theology, salvation, theology. Let me. I'm just going to do this real quickly. Um, no, I'm good. Sorry, I'm sorry that I don't want to do that to you. I'm going to show you the scope of salvation, okay? Because we think, oh, we're saved from sin, right? I mean, we're saved, right? And and as you go through Scripture, you find out that there is all these facets of salvation and how big it is and the scope of it is amazing. So God's salvation is complete. It's like it's like holistic. We're saved from more than we usually consider. We're saved from sin. That's saved from my following me. That's Matthew one twenty one. You can see that. We're saved from being lost. Matthew eighteen eleven. Okay, what do I mean by that? I was in New York a number of years ago, and I had to stay at a hotel that I didn't want to stay at because we were broke and I had to stay at a crummy hotel. And so uh, in the morning I had business meetings, so I get out, I run out, I see that the light has turned you know, red so I can run across the street with a thousand other people in New York, and I jump across and I run across the street and I'm walking to, to the toy building, you know, and I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm like, what? I don't recognize anything. I was lost. I was lost. I was thought I was going in the right direction. I was going in exactly the wrong direction. Because the street I went across was the wrong street. I went this way and I should have gone this way across the street. So I was just walking man. So finally I just had to stop and I had to say, okay, I can't believe my eyes. I gotta believe that what I think is right and I'm going exactly the wrong way. And then I turned myself around and you know found where I needed to be. That same thing happens to us spiritually. And God has saved you from making the decisions that keep you lost. God also saves us from tribulation. The Greek word ellipsis, which has to do with the, the sorrow and the grief that comes to a broken and fallen world. He saves us not from it, but He saves us through it. God takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. He saves us from faith robbers and thieves, says John 10, John, that kill, steal, and destroy. There are people out there, and there are demons out there, and circumstances out there that want to rob your faith. They want to kill your faith. They want to take away the joy of your faith. God saves you from that as well. He protects your faith. He puts a wall around your faith. He saves you from judgment. You will never be judged. Oh, you will be judged, but not for punishment. You will be judged so God can give you reward. In fact, the things that are about no value will just be burned away and be gone forever. You'll never see them, never have to deal with them for eternity. We're also saved from a perverse generation. We're saved. God is able to keep us clean in a world that's full of spiritual dirt, so to speak. Uh, he's able to keep us from from having our minds changed to what the world thinks. He's able to save us from a perverse generation. We can stand alone. We can stand with Him. We're saved from God's wrath. We will never, ever experience God's wrath. That's in Romans 5, 9. And then finally, we're saved forever. Forever. We will always, 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 always be saved. Pastor Adam here. 
Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.